Well, Seth, thank you so much for taking time for this. As we start, can you maybe talk a little bit about your current role in the company? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I'm at Double Verify. They're an ad tech company uh, that's publicly traded on NYSE. And in my particular role, I'm the application security manager. So I came into this position about six months ago, um, having previously been in both financial services as well as consulting. And I am responsible for building out our application security program from the ground up. So that includes our DevSecOps processes, um, much of data security, cloud security, product security, and uh, offensive testing as it pertains to the applications that Double Verify provides to our customers. I understand. Awesome. And Double Verify, and if I if I really write, you are in the advertising space. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So what we do at a high level is we provide measurement, verification, fraud, um, as well as privacy solutions to the whole entire advertising industry. So we work with, uh, on the buy side, the um, advertisers and, and ad agencies, and then on the sell side, the publishers and ad, and ad servers as well, um, and everyone in between. So the ad the advertising industry works very similar to the financial services industry. There's ads, trades in real times. And so we work with all the players um, across the board. I see. Awesome. Well, it's, it's it's such a humongous already and kind of probably still growing industry. I'm just looking at, uh, given the success of Google, I imagine that's, uh, and also saw that the uh, your, your company, it's, it's, it's very pretty sizable. Um, so it's, it's a very, I imagine it's an interesting space to play, uh, but switching gears on uh, back to cybersecurity, it seems like as a, as a field, it's just such it's growing into uh, in importance, both at the board level, at senior executive level, and as a result, I think a lot more people are looking to make a career, whether switching from technology to cybersecurity, or maybe even students just looking to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life. So, for based on your experience, from your vantage point, what would you suggest? What do you recommend to someone who is just contemplating this this shift? What should they be focusing on? How should they spend their time? Yeah, it's a great question. And so for me personally, and in, in my background, right, I came from IT um, into cybersecurity. So I had a little bit of technical knowledge that definitely helped me uh, accelerate my career a little bit more. And then also, um, I ended up getting a degree in business to offset some of the technical skills. So that way, in cyber, you know, a lot of people think the technical part is really the hard part. But the reality is, um, in many cases, the technical part is normally the easiest part, and it's sort of the business and operational risk um, that's the really difficult part. Uh, and so in, in many cases, for me, what I would recommend is, um, A, it's good to come in with non-traditional backgrounds. Not everyone needs to have a background in IT. Not everyone needs to be super technical. Um, even in my position right now as the application security manager, I do very little actual hands-on coding um, and a lot of my time is more spent, you know, helping developers help them fix their code or helping uh, teams build the processes and procedures to support the program and the build as it continues to advance and, and move forward. And so uh, if I had three items that I would say is A, um, get your hands dirty, try, you know, online hack the box, try hands-on labs um, as you can, as you can afford. There's really cheap programs out there and in some cases free or you can get scholarships for um, that will allow you to start learning the fundamentals about cybersecurity. Um, B, I think in the world where everything's moving cloud heavy, um, everything's infrastructure is changing, uh, organizations are changing. Like five years ago, everyone said that they were going to do it and now everyone is doing it. Um, and I think the, the main difference is having fundamental knowledge of how cloud computing works with the cloud service providers, whether it be um, Amazon Web Services or Azure 
or Google Cloud, um, any of those will really help you start building the fundamental knowledge. And you don't need a background in IT in order to start learning how these functionals work. It will certainly help. But at the end of the day, there's free online training for all three of these cloud service providers that will get you moving forward. Uh, and then last but not least, I think, see, one of the things that people don't often recommend, but I will absolutely recommend, is understanding risk in an organization and how it's handled. Um, because like I was mentioning before, cybersecurity is definitely an operational risk at heart. And so learning how general risk management is done and then seeing how cyber is just one of those types of risk um, and obviously handles a lot of different components. But at the end of the day, um, risk management and understanding risk management and how to handle risk uh, within a you know large enterprise and even a, a medium-sized enterprise is extremely valuable in the market. And there's plenty of opportunities for students, internships, uh, as well as um, individuals coming out of more advanced degrees uh, to pursue these you know fresh new opportunities in the marketplace. There's plenty and plenty of unfilled roles. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's, it's an interesting point that it's technically just one side of things because at the end of the day you're dealing with people and you need to explain communicate up i guess and and, and uh, uh laterally what the implications are so people who are not technical or do not have exposure to cybersecurity or do not understand risk maybe that well they can understand uh what's at stake and how to make decisions with with sufficient knowledge and sufficient understanding what the implications are what the outcomes are um, so it, it's, it's certainly a very valid point um, from your, again, from your kind of vantage point, from your, from your experience, uh, what do you think the future challenges would look like? Because I, I think there's a lot of themes that are playing right now. I think a lot of people are focusing, you mentioned cloud security, uh, ransomware is top of mind, um, what, whether it's relates to kind of phishing attacks that add up with ransomware um, or, or not. But what do you think 12 months from now, what do you think everyone would, what are the top three things everyone will be talking about in cybersecurity? Yeah, so I think that there's three main things that some of them are, are existing now and I think some of them are gonna resurface. Uh, one of the, the, the top one that I think is being able to quantify risk um, as it pertains to the organization. And, and this is something that um, I think many organizations struggle with and there are some tools that help, but uh, at the end of the day, it's in many cases a very subjective task for right now and there's not really to use that can be leveraged in order to properly um, level set you know if you have a threatened vulnerability management program if you have an incident response program you have a SOC you have your application security team your identity and access management and really being able to tie those risks to a, a quantifiable number and then marrying that to your specific organization or your industry um, and I think that's something that People are trying to solve actively right now. I think in the near future, uh, boards and other senior leadership are going to start trying to better understand, you know, the, with the rising cost of cyber insurance, um, what should we just accept the risk on and, and insure versus what do we need to actually move forward and, and spend our time and money and efforts, um, you know, with whether it's people, processes, consultants, et cetera, in order to build out um, these these areas a little bit more and, and get some sort of consensus. So I think quantifying risk is something that in 12 months, people are gonna realize like cyber is getting very costly. Um, and so what do we need to accept versus what do we need to uh, you know work on ourselves? Um, so that's part one. Part two for me, I think in, in recent events, the supply chain, um, whether that's uh, mostly a software supply chain, but really understanding how um, 
software is designed, built, and, and executed, deployed, and especially in cloud-native environments. So we're starting to see an emergence of these cloud-native application security testing tools, which is sort of its own field where they combine um, cloud workflow protection as well as cloud security posture management, and they put it together with traditional uh, static dynamic um, runtime security testing, interactive security testing, and they, and they put it all in one box together and, and make it a solution. Um, what it does is it allows you to significantly reduce the number of false positives and the time spent wasted trying to can triage vulnerabilities that are identified. And it's pretty um, it, it's pretty accurate with some of the new technology that's coming out there with some of the existing technology that's out there that, that's emerging in the space. Um, it's going to, I think, make a significant enhancement to the way that we test these applications on a regular basis and actually help triage uh, pretty significant vulnerabilities that may not be uh, identified from one of those tools independently um, that doesn't necessarily have the breadth or depth um, across your environment and your landscape. Um, so that's cloud native application security testing. And then I think for me, third and foremost, it's going to be um, a continued increase in training and awareness um, and, and a double down in that space. And so there's a lot of people that they're focusing in ransomware, they're focusing on IoT, and, and those are definitely big options. And so uh, I think for me personally, and, and from what I've seen in my background and the industries that I serve, this is my, this is my third. And the reason being is because um, a lot of these other problems, ransomware, et cetera, are caused by a person. Um, and in many cases, it's still educating users and making the education fun and interactive. And so um, I think in gamification of these educational systems is becoming extremely popular. Um, ever since 2018, when I started to uh, do some research on the emergence of security training solutions, there were individuals that were you know, making all sorts of, of extremely fascinating games um, that can be rolled out to your teams. And I think security training just needs to be fun. Um, in many cases, it just it's dull, it's boring, people skip through it, they don't want to listen, has no interest of them. But then when it comes time to do a phishing test on your organization, you know, you have 50% uh, of the people that click on it, 20% of the people that put in their information, you start to realize, like, maybe what I'm doing isn't working. Uh, and there needs to be another another way. And so I think the additional gamification, and when I mean gamification, not making things cartoonish, I mean hands-on engagement, I think that's gonna be a significant improvement uh, to the way that we train our staff and, and education. And, and it's constant reminders. Like, I think there's like the rule of seven, you need to see something like seven times before it really sticks. And I think in this particular case, um, it's one of those areas where it affects every single employee at your company, you know, from board members to C-suite down to uh, even interns when they come in. And, and oftentimes you can see interns making some pretty serious mistakes because there's not security enforcement and security awareness in place, especially for individuals that might only be at your company for two months. So um, for contractors, especially, you know, heavier security training as well as uh, firm-wide. And so um, my hope is that, you know, security training can be fun for everyone. Certainly, certainly. Well, it's, it's, it's more, again, not to make the cartoonish, but maybe leaderboards and winners and uh, kind of champions. And it's, it's certainly often all those attacks, if you drill down, it's, humans are usually the weakest link because it can, it can patch the software, but Sometimes you can patch a, a human being. It's uh, and and the frontier is moving. Um, the, the attacks are getting more and more sophisticated. And to your first point, I just, I'm curious because it's I'm talking to a lot of people and they say that um, in the past there were, there were a lot more insurance providers who would be willing kind of to step in and insure some of that risk. 
And recently, the trend is the premiums are getting more and more expensive. And some of the players are stepping out of ensuring cyber risk completely, which is telling me that they have a hard time quantifying that. So do you think that organizations, because they have internal information that the insurers may not even have, would be in a better position to quantify this risk internally um, than maybe outside, an outsider like insurance company can do it from whatever they, they can have, they have access to? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and in all honesty, I don't think I have the answer, right? I can give you my opinion. And sure, sure. Forth. No, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. I, I did some, you know, research on this at, at some point uh, back in like the 2017 timeframe. And obviously the, the cyber landscape and the risk landscape in general has changed a lot since then. Um, but what, what I think about it is that it, it depends on your organization itself. And it, I think it depends on um, how much risk appetite you have and how much you're willing to say, yes, this is okay for me. And yes, it's not. Um, the reality, like from, from one perspective, right, the people leaving the insurance space, that's scary um, because it, it, you need competition and in insurance for in order for the industry to, to properly function, right? And I think that if there's less players coming in and there's barriers to entry for one reason or another, or potentially they're they don't want to insure these because there's there's another reason. Um, maybe it's monetary. Maybe it's government. Maybe there's you know third parties involved. Uh, that that's pretty scary. So um, if there's less competition, that's going to definitely drive you know leaning towards a monopolistic type market. And I think in any market, when you start to get towards that and you're and you start to begin to shallow, that there's less and less players. That 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 really drives and, and consolidation in general. That's going to drive a lot of problems. Um, from the, you know, what should I accept versus what should I not? And do I need third parties to come in? Um, I think every organization has their own set of difficulties and challenges. And depending on the bandwidth and how much time they're willing to spend, they can then look at that. So if you have enough bandwidth, you understand how to quantify WISP well within your own organization, you might not need um, a, a third party to come in and actually validate that. Um, but in many cases, when you do cyber insurance, they're going to do their own assessment anyway. And so I think it's understanding, um, you know, what, what framework are they leveraging and how are they assessing the risk versus what you think? Um, and ultimately, it depends on your business function as well. You know, if you're working at a um, in, in sort of the agriculture industry versus healthcare versus finance um, versus, you know, advertising versus manufacturing, like the, the risk in each industry are, are certainly quite different for everyone. And so the, the reality is, is that, you know, maybe a one size fit all solution for insurance doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, and I think it needs to be catered towards industries, which, which to my knowledge, they already do certainly. Um, but there dramatically is like, if you take sensors and you take, um, you know, printing machines, how do you compare a sensor to a printing machine um, in terms of risk, right? And then how do you quantify that better? And so um, there's so many different areas that require just like vastly, um, there's so many different areas that require a lot of time and effort to put things side by side and really understand, um, is this important? Is it not important? Do we need to think about this? Do we need to not think about this? Does it affect our business? Does it affect potentially um, businesses that we've acquired or uh, future uh, M&A activity? And I think that there's a huge discrepancy right now in the market um, about, you know, what 
standardized models should be used and, and how to accept risk appropriately for your own organization. So CISO guidance in this case is, I think, extremely valuable working with other CISOs in their industry, uh, in their industry to better understand, you know, what have they said yes to and then what are they ensuring? Certainly, certainly makes sense. Uh, talking about Afenia as a concept, as a community of cybersecurity executives learning together, succeeding together, and there are certain it's it's evolving and we want to hear feedback and and i hope you can help us understand what is that that we do uh, in whether it's information or kind of upcoming networking opportunities and things like that that you think are interesting and valuable so what are the things we do that's interesting what are the things we do that we is maybe not as much value that we should stop and what do you think is missing uh i know some members say that it's time to put together small-scale face-to-face events that'll be local to various cities. Um, other people suggesting kind of other uh, maybe events related to larger-scale conferences like RSA or Black Hat, maybe more um, online learning, even though a lot of people are have the Zoom fatigue. Uh, but maybe if it's very specific and very targeted, it makes sense. From your perspective, like what, what do you think we should do more of? What should we do less of? And what new that we are not currently doing that you think we should be? Yeah, great question. So first and foremost, um, I'm super happy to be a part of the community. And, and I think the reality is I'm only like maybe a month or six weeks old. So it hasn't been too long for me. And I, I saw a couple of colleagues of mine online that had joined. And I realized like this is a great place for industry peers to just share uh, knowledge and be part of a greater community. And we're always looking for opportunities that that make sense where you can get involved, you can hear other people's voices. And so from that perspective, getting constant updates of where some of your colleagues are that you might have worked with at one point, or you might have, uh, they may have been your client right at one point, um, and, and getting these constant updates. And, and so I think, A, um, you know, giving shout outs to our industry peers is, is super brightening when they get to advance their career, when they're landing new opportunities. Um, it's helpful for us as well to share to our networks when there's new opportunities available that might be a good fit for our uh, friends that we have met along the way and, and colleagues that we've worked with. Um, you know, networking is a huge component, I think, of, of any career in general. And I think within cyber, it's just as important. You know, like, like I was saying before, your technical skills can speak so much, but um, your business skills and the way that you network with your colleagues is even more. So um, being a part of the community in general is a great place to start. And I'm, and I'm very grateful to be a part of it. Um, so what I think could be helpful in the future is just more industry specific um, events. So I think that in many cases, you know, being in application security and financial services and being in application security, for example, in, in the advertising and marketing world is like, it's vastly different. Um, and so what I've learned in, in these two industries is like, what you focus on, what you spend your time on is, is completely separate. Um, like the goal is still the same, but how you get there is completely separate. And so being able to speak more with like industry colleagues that are in my particular industry and my level, um, you know, that, that would make a lot of sense. And then um, I think, I always like in-person events. I mean, I think we're getting to the point where, where those are completely acceptable. <laughs> and so, you know, my, my hope is, is that in the next year, things start to open up and we'll be able Absolutely. to uh, travel, be part of those communities and, and share thoughts and wisdom. You know, one thing that I think is always helpful for us and um, something that IANS does well is, is starting to do like short little research snippets. Um, I guess that's the word is like, you know, is if one CISO is having a problem sending out sort of an anonymized poll to the group and audience to get their opinion, 
Um, because this way you're getting, you know, for example, if you, if you just put a random poll on LinkedIn, you know, to your community, like you don't know the, qual the, the, uh, the qualifiers of the respondents. Um, and you're not able to understand that these are like professionals that have been vetted that are, you know, all interested in the same topic that have, you know, somewhat similar roles, right? Um, and I think in general, that would be super helpful. So if, if uh, any CISOs need advice with, or they need guidance on a vendor, or they need guidance on a selection process or whatever it might be for their particular organization, I think having the ability to send these questions in anonymously and then have polls uh, be sent out to everyone. And then that way you know that the responses that you're getting received are like real information from industry peers and professionals that you can trust. Um, and I think then that might help you, you know, guide decisions right in the future. Like let's say you're selecting a uh, cloud security posture management solution and you're between three of them, you know, throw out a poll, which one do you use, if not other, and then being able to complete those types of like mini assessments might be mm -hmm. a quick wins to, to help some individuals when they're stuck between one vendor or another. So um, that's just one idea that I had. Interesting, and, and currently, how do you do this at currently? For example, if, if you've narrowed down to, you wanna narrow things down from 10 vendors to three and three you have conversations with, and who would you go to to go from 10 to three? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think in part, um, it's always, you know, what fits your environment the best. Um, it might not even be, in many cases, it might have been a vendor that I've already worked with that I love. But then I look at my environment and I'm like, this just doesn't mesh well with our, our current landscape and, and where we're at. Um, so I think that's first and foremost is understanding how it fits best into your environment. Even if you're friends with these people, if you get tech tools and technology that don't help you, then they're effectively useless. Um, and you don't want that, that tech that just sitting around being unused and, and wasting your budget. Um, so secondly, I would say, you know, look at the industry uh, leaders in the space, you know, people that have, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience. Um, and being able to absorb their knowledge and, and their trust. So there's many people that do presentations on certain types of tools, their limitations, their product roadmap, what they have, what they don't, how their competitive advantages, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, and you can, you know, really put them aside and, and start to uh, better analyze from like, you know, what is the industry saying about these types of tools? But I think third and, and foremost, and, and this is where the networking and, and Afinia can, can come into play is like, you use your peers. Um, you know, many cases, especially because I spent time in consulting, I have, you know, quite a lot of colleagues that did, for example, like infrastructure security um, or, or something along those lines, threat and vulnerability management. And, and then I could reach out to these colleagues and saying, hey, we're evaluating tools X, Y, and Z, you know, shoot me with your best shot, right? <laughs> like, I want to hear the best thing that's happened, the worst thing that's happened and everything in between. Um, and then that way you get a true sense of what it's like to work for these vendors. And, and in some cases, it's, it's, you know, these, they might be working at the vendor. <laughs> so it's, it's oftentimes, you know, you, you try not to, you try to give an, an unbiased approach as much as you can. But uh, I think that that's the most important part is, is really so, having hands-on operators. Well, yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense if you ask to someone who had experience with the vendor, who, whose opinion you trust, who's a kind of a professional in the industry, so they know what are you going through so they can they can understand what what some of the challenges that you're dealing with and who who doesn't have a vested interest so that you can argue that their opinion is unbiased and and, and trustworthy but in the same vein i mean um would you say that something like g2 crowd or Gartner would would you not view them achieving the same goal and and kind of playing in the same use case yeah i i mean 
it's helpful, right? Like that's one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but I think the reality is with Gartner, like the best product in the market still might not fit your use case as well. It still might not fit your niche. It still might not solve the problem that you have. Um, and I've seen this like over and over again, where you get the best of the best product, you spend all the money in the world on it. And then the reality is you don't even have enough people to man it, to use it, to work it. And then you have to hire an outside third-party consultant. You hire the consultant, you run out of money. The product's 50% implemented, 50% functional. You don't have a team to run it properly. And so oftentimes I think, you know, people get caught up in that trick where they might've had friends that said, oh, this tool is amazing. Even though it's the most expensive, you, you should buy it. And then what you learn is, is that after you purchase the tool, you don't have the capabilities to implement it. And I've seen this many times with like data loss prevention DLP tools where there are massive projects to implement, you know, companies will spend um, anywhere from like 200,000 to $2 million on these types of tools. And then, you know, need to spend another million on consultants just to be able to implement it properly. And then once you get it implemented properly and you have your use cases built, now you have too much noise and you need to figure out how to get rid of the noise. And so it's at the end of the day, it's like this funneling effect that, that often can happen where, um, you know, the, the best and brightest tool on the market might not be a good fit for your organization. So interesting point, interesting point. Well, so thank you so much for taking your time again for this. This was amazing. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, your points about face-to-face -face events and about uh, opening up channels for members to provide real-time feedback, whether uh, on vendors or certain challenges, it's certainly well taken. Uh, we have a lot in the works planned for this year. So it was certainly ho uh, helpful to be able to put some of these initiatives in use and looking forward to your, your feedback and uh, continued support. Awesome. And I'm really glad to be here today. And uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great one.